Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine, and welcome. We are the active voice of women over 70, aging reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Visit womenover70.com to make a donation, discover our books for women section, and learn more about the Women Over 70 community. Invite us to conduct workshops or speak to your organization. We share clips from our podcast and offer strategies that enrich women's lives as they age. And today we're pleased to welcome Sue Smith to our show. And Sue is 72. She grew up in a farm in Jackson, Michigan. She attended a rural agricultural high school and was the first in her family to attend college. Her early career was in education as a school teacher. In 1989, she began conducting workshops for Keep America Beautiful, and in 1991, became the National Director of Education for the Affiliate Network in 600 cities and communities. Her accomplishments include being named Citizen Connect Envoy for U.S. Department of State Public Diplomacy, Outreach, <laughs> Outreach for Burma and Thailand. She was a congressionally appointed envoy to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for Environmental Education, has been a guest instructor at UN Global Forum for students at the White House, Texas A.M., Fordham University, New York, and is a fellow at the University of California, Berkeley. Sue is celebrating 30 years with Keep America Beautiful and continues to find it a privilege and a joy. Today, her work is more local. She consults and is a spokesperson. A year or so ago, Sue's beloved husband passed away. Life has not been the same. They were married 50 years, and earlier in their lives, they lost a son. Sue, it's an honor to have you as our guest on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome. Thank you, Gail. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for a lovely introduction. <laughs> You're very welcome. So I'm wondering if your early years at, at an agricultural uh, high school was any influence in your, uh, in, in your becoming so active with Keep America Beautiful? You know, that's an interesting question. I suspect it was a blessing and frankly a curse. A rural agricultural school in Michigan in those days meant that it was non-accredited. I had to take an ACT even to get into a state college because mm. many of our teachers were non-accredited. And so it was an education, frankly, of the land. And we certainly had a very robust FFA, the Future Farmers of America. And our back in those days, we had home ec. And so we did a lot of cooking and sewing. And even though I graduated in 1966 from high school, I suspect probably those times my, my family owned the land and we grew much of our food. We canned and we even butchered uh, meat and it was a, a way to grow up. And now I found my, find myself in this metropolis of Chicago. So it's a very long journey, but yes, I think likely that did have something to do with it. My mother and father were also very connected to the land. My father bought property 
outside of Detroit. So even though he worked in the auto factories, he wanted his children to live more on the land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so you found your way to keep America beautiful after another career. How did that happen? What made you join them? Well, interesting. My husband was the chair of the Social Service Agency uh, Consortium down in Will County, Illinois. And I was sitting next to a woman at one of those banquet dinners that you get to go to when your spouse is involved. And the lady next to me said, "Um, oh, you're a school teacher. What sort of things do you like and do? And bottom line is she invited me to have my students participate in a cleanup because Keep Will County Beautiful was a Keep America Beautiful county. Mm -hmm. Well, I loved it. They provided the pizza and the litter grabbers and the park and the bus. And my kids loved it. My seventh and eighth graders just thought that was great. So one thing led to the next. I was invited to be on the board to head up the education committee where I came to the attention of the president of Keep America Beautiful because I had rewritten some of their lesson plans. I thought they needed a little more depth. And so he had an appointment with Julie Wrigley, interestingly enough. Uh, Mrs. Wrigley was on our board of directors at that time. Keep America Beautiful is headquartered in Stamford, Connecticut. So he flew in to meet with Mrs. Wrigley and he called and said, would you be willing to meet with me? I'm interested in offering you a position. So I got my job at the Marriott on Michigan Avenue after I found Mr. Powers, our CEO at that time, at the Wrigley (laughs) Building Lobby, and he bought me a cup of coffee and offered me the job of the education director of Keep America Beautiful. Hmm. (laughs) How interesting. And so did you leave teaching at that point? I did. Um, I had left for a year to work for a education service center doing teacher in-service workshops. And it was only for a year. So not only did I have to go back to that contract and explain why I really wanted to work for this organization, but I had to go to my principal and say, I won't be back next year. And it was not easy. I turned it down at first because it was such a privilege. I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and it is such a special time Mm -hmm. for children, for teachers, for communities, for society. It was such a special time. So I decided that I didn't want to leave, and my husband wisely said, well, did they ask how much they were going to pay you? Well, you can imagine it was more than my teacher's salary, so (laughs) we talked it over, and I didn't want to go to Connecticut, but they offered me the opportunity to stay in my home, so I was telecommuting, and well, there was no Zoom, but I traveled all over with a roll of quarters in my purse because I would get off the plane and go to a pay phone and get my messages and then call people back. So it was an adventure. They let me stay home. And I then traveled out of O'Hare for 30 years visiting among those 700 communities. It was an amazing journey. I, I just sometimes gasp at the privilege that I've had and the places I have been. What was some of the work that you actually did in those communities? 
In the very beginning, it was teacher in service workshops. Communities join Keep America Beautiful, and they have a certain requirements. Not only do they have to do in the beginning, but they have to do them every year. Report to us, do a litter index, which is a windshield survey of their community. So in the beginning, I was doing teacher workshops on those lesson plans. But eventually, they started pulling me to have communities join. So I would go to Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and tell them what we did and how we did it and what was required and what the, quote, homework was. They would submit it, and I would come back and use their homework for the community in Stockwell, Indiana, or Nacogdoches, Texas, or whatever. And I traveled and trained and brought new communities into the Keep America Beautiful family based on litter prevention, improving recycling, and um, beautification. So those three things were required of each community, and that is indeed what we still stand on. We were founded in 1953. We were around before there was even an EPA, but we've been doing this work now those many years. Hmm. And and so it really was an extension of your work as a as a teacher, because if I understand correctly, all of the work of Keep America Beautiful was in school systems in the communities. In the beginning, that was true for me because of my background. But every Keep America Beautiful affiliate, we call them affiliates, has an education component. But they also have a clean up, green up, beautify, mm-hmm. study a landfill, understand the policies of the cost of the laws that uh, one of the things the city has to do is codify the laws around things like waste hauling contracts. People say, what do you do? My favorite line is I talk trash and fight dirty. <laughs> so my job is to encourage people to do something locally to improve their community. Mm-hmm. It sounds like very fulfilling work. It's amazing. I, I keep flunking retirement, Gail. I, <laughs> I know. I, they had, a, they had so- a lovely party. They said goodbye. My husband had become ill and I could no longer travel. So it was necessary for me to be home and care for him. And, and I resigned and they had a wonderful gift and party and goodbye. And then six months, a year later, they called and said, um, can you help us out here? Can you help us out there? And so I've remained a consultant and I've been able to continue to do this work, even though I have officially retired, but gosh, it's fun. It's, still fun and I still get such enjoyment. I just had the opportunity to meet with Carmel, California. And you talk about a different model. It's a one square mile on the ocean, but guess what? People litter and guess Uh who? Mostly tourists. Uh At least that's what they think. So we're going to work with Carmel and I'll get a chance to get to know them and they're going to join Keep America Beautiful and I'm going to be able to help them do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, is your work now connected with the climate reality movement? I have worked with Al Gore. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a trainer for mm-hmm. An Inconvenient Truth. 
And Keep America Beautiful is a partner with the Clinton Foundation. And we are one of the organizations that have knowledge, but we do not know. We are not specifically tied, Mm -hmm. only in partnership, Mm -hmm. as we are with Waste Free Seas, with the EPA, with the Shed Aquarium, Waste Free Waters, Mm -hmm. uh, Protect the Great Lakes. We partner up with other nonprofits Mm -hmm. of like mind. Interesting. So a year ago, your husband passed away or more. Is it? It's more now, right? It is. It was April of 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard. Very hard. It was. It was particularly difficult. Um, As I reflect, it had been a difficult year. He did get worse toward the end and and um, he was hospitalized. And if you recall, uh, March, whatever, 12th, 13th, somewhere in there, we knew the pandemic was what it was. And he was um, in a nursing home and then they took him to the hospital and I was not allowed to go. Mm. Um, They advised against it very strongly. It was in April. So we were only about two weeks into the lockdown. And that was, as I reflect, Um, That was probably the most difficult part. It had been a long road. Jim had been sick for a while and had continued to deteriorate physically. The good news is mentally he was, he was there. He told me he loved me the last time I spoke to him on the phone and we'd had our 50th wedding anniversary. It was at Northwestern in the hospital, but we did it and we (laughs) laughed and we checked the box and the love affair was long and wonderful. And, um, it's uh, it's a new thing, and it's I'm practicing saying words like widow. And I took myself to the theater the other day, all by myself. Mm-hmm. I, I've never done that in my whole life. <laughs> right, right. It's 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 a journey, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, my husband passed away 12 years ago, and I am still on that journey every year as a new revelation in one way or another. And so I know where you are and, and what it means to you. And, but loss is not new to you. You, you lost a son early on. We did. Um, our daughter, who's now 45 and has given me, us, three grandchildren, yay, the best <laughs> of the best. I love them to death as all, I was never going to be that woman, Gail. I said, all my girlfriends were like the grandchildren, the grandchildren. I was not going to be that person. Well, guess what? I am that person. You're in anyway, love. Anyway, <laughs> um, I was in love. I am in love. Um, Casey was one and I found out I was pregnant and I was very excited. Jim and I were just thrilled. And we just, back in those days, I suspect we could have known the sex, but we didn't. I'm not even sure we could have. Anyway, we got all the way through and um, he was born, JR was born, and he only lived a very short time. He only lived a couple of days and it was a very obviously emotional and difficult time. And (laughs) although I didn't enjoy pregnancy, really, I mean, I did it because I knew I wanted to have a family, but I looked at Jim when they said it's a boy. I said to him, oh, honey, I don't ever have to do this again. And he <laughs> laughed and teased me about it forever. But 
Um, JR lived for a couple of days, but he, we did not take extreme measures. It was a very interesting, as again, as I reflect, um, the doctors were helpful and the um, obstetrician, actually, I taught his children. So I knew him sort of, I felt like we were, had a connection for sure. And he came to us the morning of the second day and he said, there can be extreme measures. There will be, you know, if you choose, but this is going to be a very, very difficult life and a very difficult, and it's a roll of the dice. So again, as I reflect back on it, we made choices. And as I listen to some of the choices that are being talked about today, even politically, and as we listen and pay attention to the changes, I think, oh my gosh, what a choice we made that morning. And we did. And uh, he did not survive yet another day. So I have two children. It's interesting because people say, how many children do you have? And I always pause and I just now quietly say in my heart that JR and Casey, my daughter, and I say that my daughter is our my child and my three grandchildren. So if you launch into your three grandchildren quickly, it's okay to say it in your heart, or at least that's what I've decided for myself. Right, right, yes. Yes. Oh, my. My uh, mother experienced a, a similar thing. She Her first child was a, a little girl. Of course, this was in the 1930s. And, mm. you know, at that, that time, there was going to be no help for her at all. And, and so she lived for 24 hours. And then... Um, uh, but she was, you know, one of my mother's children all, all for her whole life. That was, she, we always knew that there was a sister that we didn't know because, of course, she was born before we were. But I have a brother and we always knew that she was around. I mean, she was, uh, she had been born. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so loss is one element of aging, of course. And then you, when you and I talked, you talked about things you might have told your younger self. What, what are some of those? Some of the things that, as I think back, um, the privilege of meeting people who have purpose and passion and listening to them and finding a way I would tell myself, find a way to listen carefully and where you can to nurture and grow and you will grow as well. And if you're very, very lucky, you'll end up doing something you love. My husband was a rehabilitation counselor for the state of Illinois, and it was a tough job. He did a lot of alcohol and drugs. Um, a lot of his clients were addicted and he would come home just exhausted and feeling like he had not made much progress. And I bounced in the door and, you know, loved all my students. My principal was wonderful. I was learning all these fun things with my kids. And, and then I went to keep America beautiful and I was meeting these amazing corporate leaders and environmentalists. And he said, how does it feel? Oh, Susie, how does it feel? to love what you do. Mm -hmm. So I guess if I could have given myself that advice, it would be to, if you're lucky, 
love, find something if you love what you do, because it really does make a difference. And it's been such a help for me this past year, because I think of all the gardens and the flowers and the, okay, recycling bins and all the things that I've had the privilege to speak to and about and maybe made a difference, made a difference on the land and the air and the water that I've been so blessed to partake of. So it's, um, I never dreamed uh, the state department was wonderful. I, our organization, um, Keep America Beautiful, was invited to go to Myanmar and Cambodia and Thailand. And, and I was selected to go because it was an educational trip. And when I think of the Buddhist monks I met, I mean, what are the odds of some Michigan state school kid from a farm of Mississippi transplants into the auto factories? Um, Ending up there, I always gasped at the um, at the heights and the excitement and the and the people. People are so willing to do the right thing, Gail. They really are. If you just give them a tool or an encouragement, it's just been such a such a joy. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, Sue, about um, your your work there, and what what stands out for you as some of the things that they were able to accomplish with uh, support like Cambodia or one of the most ex- Yeah. One of the most exciting things for me was I brought the lessons that I use with American students and I was able to meet with NGOs, non-government organizations, which are what nonprofits are called in, in Myanmar or Cambodia. Anyway, um, they showed me their lesson plans. And it was such fun because in some cases they matched perfectly. Mm-hmm. And in some cases they were very far apart. Children are taught to dig a hole and, and bury their waste in the ground mm-hmm. in Myanmar. And a proper family has a proper place. And that is where they go and they dig a hole and they bury their waste. They do that with their human waste and with their household waste. And their lesson plan was kind of the same, which proud of where you live, proud of what you do, take care of the world around you, clean is healthy, clean is beautiful. And yet I would tell my students to sort in the bin and they would tell their students to dig a hole. And I I reflected on that a few times that good education always has a starting point but a really good lesson plan takes the child to where they are. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's the same with a mayor, a city council, a board of directors. When I met with the folks from Carmel last week, we had the the sanitation workers were there and the parks and rec people were there. The lesson isn't so very different, Catherine. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. We start where we can make a difference. (laughs) Well, Sue, I grew up on a farm. And we didn't have um, indoor plumbing for many, many years. So I was just thinking about my outhouse experiences, digging a hole for waste. <laughs> exactly. My grandmother had eight children with no indoor plumbing. And when we went to visit her, we had to get up when we were old enough. We had to get up and go down that path into mm-hmm. the outhouse. And 
she had a Sears catalog on a chain. <laughs> and that was what we used. I mean, yep. it's the truth. And here I am <laughs> in a high-rise condo in Chicago <laughs> with two bathrooms. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so interesting to reflect on 70. I just had a birthday, 73 years walking this uh, earth uh-huh. and the impact that I've had. <laughs> I will never again say anything about the one bathroom that we had growing up in the city of Chicago. <laughs> oh my. Exactly. Yeah, we can we can top you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you certainly can. <laughs> well, I have to tell you this one Buddhist monk, he was some of them were dedicated to um saving the tigers. Another group was dedicated to saving the teakwood forest. And the gentleman who had the teakwood forest, the um Buddhist monk, I met with him separately. I think he was probably trying to raise money. Unfortunately, I didn't have a pocket full of it to give him, but we met separately and we talked a great deal. He was, he had gone to the university of Ohio actually. So it was the Ohio university. And so we had a lovely visit and he said to me, I asked him a question about the differences or something. And he said, well, Sue, you're, you're very nice. You've been very helpful. We've thoroughly enjoyed having you, but I must tell you, it's difficult to take you seriously because you flush your toilet with drinking water. Mm. And I have never forgotten that because water Mm. in Cambodia, in Thailand, I watched women beat their clothing on the riverbank and then Mm. scoop the water jug and put it on their head. So Water, water, water. I think mm-hmm. I've learned that water is the next conversation, at least in my world, because so many of our affiliates out in the Southwest are really being challenged. Beautification is connected to water in many mm-hmm. cases. Sure. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So, Sue, what's ahead for you? What's next? Well, I, I am. I have the great privilege of still. Con- Still going to our national conference held in Washington, D.C. So I'll be going to that uh, in two weeks. And I'm excited about seeing some old friends and make some new ones, hopefully. Um, I would very much like to find someone to mentor to take the Keep Chicago Beautiful work. I'm doing it, but it's very part time. And I do spend a great deal of time with my grandchildren, and I want to. I'm trying to make some new friends. The one thing I would tell a young woman who was starting out is if you're going to be on the road for 30 years, Mm -hmm. make sure you make friends locally because Mm -hmm. much to my dismay, I, I retired and I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. I hadn't met anyone in my building or in my neighborhood or I volunteered at church, but I wasn't always able to keep my promise. And so that was hard because, I have to work with volunteers who are willing to keep their promise for Keep America Beautiful. So I'm hoping to find someone that I can mentor and help and hire because I'd like to stay in Chicago. I love it here. I love all the wonderful things that it gives me a chance to do. And so I think my future, if I could wave a magic wand, there would be some person that I could train and mentor to take over and hopefully feel the exhilaration and the excitement of working with people who love where they live 
because mm-hmm. that's exactly what I get to do. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with you. We appreciate your being on Women Over 70. Yes, it's we a do. real privilege, Jill, and I thank you both for the invitation. Thank you, Sue. And listeners, please subscribe to our website and leave a review wherever you listen or visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can easily access all of our episodes and become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined.